Chapter 4 The Field of Sacred Duty Bhagavad Gita A World at War For the most part, the Gita plays out just before and climaxes with the great Kurukshetra War. It is Sanjaya, the seer, who takes us to the great battlefield as he narrates the events thereon to the Kuru king Dhritarashtra. The battle itself is between two families who are in fact related to each other, the Kuaravas and the Pandavas. The story focuses on a Pandava prince named Arjuna and his reluctance to go into battle against friends he loves dearly, cousins and uncles for whom he has great respect and teachers that he holds in the highest regard. Arjuna voices his reluctance to his charioteer who, it turns out, is the god incarnate Lord Sri Krishna. Quote, O oh Krishna, I do not see any reason in slaying our own relatives. I do not long for victory in this battle, nor the kingdoms, nor the pleasures. Govinda, what is the use of having kingdoms or pleasures or even the very existence of this life? End quote. Bhagavad Gita the bulk of the text is taken up by the godhead of the Hindu faith guiding Arjuna toward his sacred duty and the importance of living a disciplined life. Quote, Arjuna, why are you overcome with dejection at this inappropriate moment? And what is the reason for it? This is not the attitude of learned men. Neither it leads you to the heavens nor such actions give you fame. End quote. Bhagavad Gita the text of the Bhagavad Gita brings home to us the idea of internal conflict and how this conflict is brought about due to our own multiple and changing goals in life. The battlefield of Kurukshetra can be seen as our own internal landscape. The cousins then would be our own differing personal ambitions tugging against each other. Arjuna is you and me. Krishna is the voice of reason. The Kuru king, Dhritarashtra, who is being given the panoptic view by Sanjaya, is our own ignorance. Everything in its place. When one has goals that are incompatible with other people's, we find ourselves in an embattled space. Worse still is when our own internal goals are incompatible. That lays the groundwork for a lot of difficulty in the way we interface with life on the whole. These internal conflicts could be between putting in extra hours at work as opposed to spending more time with a family, or when we need to tell someone something that they may not be pleased to hear, but still want that person to like us. We may at times feel pulled in many different directions. The Gita speaks to this need to create a balance between what we want and what we need. It attempts to offer a model that we can use when trying to put first things first. And it insists that we need to fulfill all our duties, be they family duties, ritual duties, social duties, or professional duties. Quote, that person who is equal to an enemy as well as a friend, also in honor and dishonor, impartial in cold heat, happiness and distress, exempt from attachment, equipoised to praise or repute, contemplative before speaking, satisfied with whatever comes on its own accord, 
not attached to domestic life, fixed in determination and engaged in devotional service. Such a one is very dear to me. End quote. Bhagavad Gita Conflict for Collaboration Arjuna tells Krishna that he does not want to fight and that it is surely nobler to pursue peace. He gets a big surprise when Krishna tells him that he is wrong and that only evil will come of him not fulfilling his sacred duty to be a warrior, and therefore he must fight. What is going on here? If we were to look at the situation from its allegorical viewpoint, a few valid points come home to us. There is an understanding here that conflict is an inevitable part of life. Running, hiding or simply trying to avoid conflict is not the best action. We need to understand that it is not conflict that causes damage, but rather the dysfunctional strategies employed in dealing with the conflict that cause the harm. Conflict presents us with opportunities to grow, to learn something about ourselves and other people. There is an assumption that the most severe and recurrent conflicts happen between mortal enemies, but this is not the case. Conflict happens any time one or more individual's behavior has an impact on someone else. The people with whom we are most interdependent are usually those whose behavior will impact us most directly. Therefore, it's most often those we're closest to, our family, friends, loved ones and colleagues, that will be in conflict with us. Quote, Surrendering completely all activities to me, with consciousness firmly established in knowledge, of the self being without any desire for gain, free from proprietorship, fight without grief. End quote. Bhagavad Gita the unrest of the undefined. Before we can effectively deal with that which is outside of us, we need to deal with our own internal conflict. The starting point for this is getting a clear perspective of what is at the root of all internal conflict. At first it may appear that it's simply some topic or the other. Should I go here or there? Should I wear this or that? Should I do this or that? Topics are very difficult to prioritize because they are usually merely the tip of the issue iceberg. What are the real issues that lie beneath these topics? It appears that there are often three issues that form the substrata of conflict. The first is relationship. What is the connection between the two of us? What do we think this is? The second is identity, which is concerned with constantly clarifying the following. Who do you think I am? Who do I think you are? Who do you think you are? In addition, who do I think I am? Then lastly, there's process. How do we think it should be done? Even in our seemingly mundane day-to-day -day decisions, we are making choices that may well have consequences far beyond what the situation itself may suggest. Choices, choices, choices. Krishna is basically saying that each choice we make has deep existential significance on some level, that our actions ripple out into the world, and that these actions have effects. It is a call to conscientiousness, a call to taking a considered view of circumstances and our role in them. Arjuna 
is conflicted because of his feelings and Krishna tells him that he needs to stop being a victim and slave to his senses. He must become self-determining, driven by higher goals rather than being trapped by base feelings. Think about it. If everything one does is left in the domain of one's moods and cravings, it's a sure route to personal disaster. Whatever our station in life, wherever we may find ourselves, there are tasks that need to be done. We all have duties, whether they are simple chores or finding our next plate of food. For us to receive any benefit from our duty-bound actions, it is essential that we perform them in the most harmonious way possible. In Hinduism, these duties are considered important, but over and above these, you also have what is known as your sacred duty, your svadharma. Quote, However, those of you who out of envy do not execute regularly this injunction of mine, know it well that they are deluded by all types of knowledge, deviated from the purpose of human existence and devoid of spiritual consciousness. End quote. Bhagavad Gita Duty, Deviance and Destiny this is literally the duty you have been put on earth to perform. It is something which comes easier to you than to others who do not have the same duty. It is what one might call your talents. It is vital that you fulfill these duties because if you do not, your life will be filled with anguish and difficulty. Svadharma speaks to the idea that one needs to find out what one is inherently good at and pursue that. This may not be something that society, your parents or family expect you to do. It is that spark that is within you. You may not automatically be brilliant at this thing, but it will be something you feel passionate about working hard to accomplish. You will tend to invest time in this activity, even though there may appear to be no immediate gain. Quote, even a knowledgeable person acts according to his nature. All living entities are controlled by their own natures. What can repression accomplish? End quote. Bhagavad Gita. Individuals in this model, then, who are disconnected from this Vadharma, may find themselves living a life distant from their calling. They may tell others that what they always wanted to do was X, Y, or Z, but that life just got in the way. Following one's sacred duty is not always about totally foregoing your daily responsibilities, but it most certainly is about being very determined to make space for that which is within you. The principle suggests that if we do not at some level acknowledge our svadharma, we will be in conflict with ourselves, and while we are wrestling with this disconnection from ourselves, we are distracted from that which will do us harm. Quote, Attraction and aversion of the senses to their corresponding sense objects is unavoidable. One should not be controlled by them since they are obstacles in one's path. End quote. Bhagavad Gita This is where following the Dharma and harmonizing with all that is within leads us to moksha, that liberates us from the prison of inwardness, allowing us to face the world with inner peace, there also naturally comes more outer tranquility. From discipline to discipleship. There are strong parallels here. 
Arjuna here represents each one of us with our own internal conflicts. The warring cousins represent the notion that we are closer to the people with whom we are having conflicts than we would like to think. Krishna is reminding us about the importance of doing something about the conflict, seeing it for what it is, acknowledging our first priority, then committing ourselves to bringing things back into balance. He does this by explaining to Arjuna the importance of discipline. The word for discipline is yoga. The word yoga comes to us from the Vedic Sanskrit and means to attach, bind or unite. It is where the English word yoke originates. The idea is that each person, like an ox, becomes yoked to that which is important. In some contexts, it also can mean to utilize, to be in service of, and even effort, attempt, enthusiasm, and assiduousness. The idea is that one becomes completely committed to a particular path. Yoga is a number of things. To start with, it is about being goal-directed beginning with the end in mind, as it were. It is about sacrificing instant gratification for long-term accomplishment. Yoga can be seen as an early historical attempt at a model for self-control. When one is not addicted to desire for sense gratification, nor in fruit of activities, renouncing all material desires, then only it is declared that one is elevated to the science of uniting the individual consciousness with the ultimate consciousness. End quote. Bhagavad Gita. What is self-control other than one's ability to exercise will over one's desires, emotions and behaviors? This is particularly true in the face of external stimuli that seem to implicitly demand we act in certain ways to instantly appease them. Yoga is utilized as a way to resist immediate impulses for the sake of longer-term values. It does this by changing the nature of an individual's construal of a situation. A malaise of misconstruals how we construe a situation determines how we are going to decide to react to it. Construals are ways in which people observe, understand and read the world around them. A factor that looms large in construal is how our actions will make others react towards us, as well as how the reaction, and therefore treatment by others, influences how we see the situation. It is said that the way we construe a situation has three main origins. The first is our need to belong. The need is what is spoken to by the notion of our svadharma or sacred duty. It is about our roles and responsibilities in the world. Whether our role is being a parent, a child, a mentor, a doctor, a plumber or a friend. Each brings with it certain responsibilities and behaviors that will either foster our belonging or sow the seeds for our rejection. The second origin is our need to be accurate. It is not just who we are that is tied up in a need for accuracy. It also denotes our sense of where we fit in the universe. It is what motivates us to act. It gives us a sense of conclusiveness to our judgment and a sense that we are on the right track. It is also the seed of our sense of righteous indignation. We give such heavy sway to accuracy that we will go so far as to go to war over what is right and what is wrong. 
Most monotheistic deities are seen as the supreme embodiment of the concept of accuracy. The first tenet of every kind of faith is, after all, that one acknowledges the truth of the belief. The very bias that we have wherein we blame the victim for whatever has happened to them stems from this notion that they somehow got it wrong and therefore deserve to be punished for their inaccurate reading of the situation. The third element of construal is our need to feel good. Our entire entertainment industry is built around making people feel good, and we will pay a premium to have positive emotional upwellings. It is quite easy to see how our need to feel good can be met by many things in our here and now. We can check our Facebook likes, indulge in that extra muffin, or keep ourselves busy with frivolities rather than being productive. We are constantly responding to the quick hits that bring us instant gratification. By doing this, we very often find ourselves at odds with our other two necessities, our need to be accurate or do the right thing, which usually includes eating healthier or being more productive, and our need to belong, which may be in conflict with what is accurate. Our need to feel good may undermine our need to belong because what we are doing to feel good could result in rejection from a social group or our workplace. Much of the conflict, whether it is within ourselves or with the world, can be seen to stem from an overemphasis on any one of these things at the exclusion of the others. This conflicted space will use up a vast amount of our mental, physical and emotional resources as we spend time trying to rationalize or justify our behavior. Yoga can be seen as an antidote, as it is about systems of government over our physicality, emotionality, and our thoughts. This is why we see the word yoga as a suffix to many forms of practice. Keep in mind that the ultimate goal of yoga in any of its forms is what is known as samadhi, the attainment of liberation or moksha. Quote, for the being who conquered the mind, that being's mind is the best of friends. But for one whose mind is uncontrolled, that very mind acts as the worst of enemies. End quote. Bhagavad Gita Devotees of Development For many of us, the idea of discipline may seem restrictive. It is something that constrains us, stops us from being free, as it were. Krishna is telling Arjuna that it is in fact the opposite, that it is our discipline that actually gives us freedom. When one is disciplined enough to learn how to play a musical instrument or hone any other skill that requires perseverance, one becomes free to play that instrument or partake of the fruits of that developed skill, free in a way that others who have not developed the skill are not. We are, on this model then, actually prisoners of our own lack of discipline. When one is disciplined in their routines, with their finances, or in their personal conduct, they will experience a greater freedom and more well-being than one who is chained to the slavish demands of comfort and instant gratification. We cannot truly become the master of anything if we have not been a servant to it. Quote, Therefore, O Arjuna, 
First, you must bring the senses under control and directly destroy this lust, which is the embodiment of sin and the destroyer of knowledge and realization. End quote, Bhagavad Gita. Each of us enters our own Kurukshetra, the field of our sacred duty, every day. If we are going to emerge victorious, there are certain yogas that Hinduism suggests we follow. These yogas are meant to cover all aspects of life in which we should be disciplined in order to attain liberation.